Hello everybody and welcome to the very first Writing the Rapids Rejoinder. These are half-sized episodes where I talk to guests who have previously been on the show about what they're doing now. Sometimes it might be a little different, but that's the plan for now, so bear with me. If you like these mini-episodes, or at least the idea of them since this is the first one, you can thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. There you can become one too, a patron that is. For two bucks a month you get early episodes and some writing, for five bucks a month you get the same thing but with even more writing and I'm working on a $10 a month deal too that will have the same thing but more. Ever the guinea pig Mike Correo returns for this rejoinder to talk about his new book Rituals Performed in the Absence of Ganymede which came out from 1111 Press so go ahead and buy that now because it's worth the read. So without further ado here we go here's my second conversation with Mike. So I think this is the, the first kind of difference I noticed uh, in the writing of the book was that some of the words have hyphens in them between syllables mm-hmm. uh, that kind of like alter the pronunciation or or the meaning. Like substance has a hyphen sometimes between the sub and the stance syllables. And I'm interested uh, to hear about that choice. Yeah. So because the book is primarily consumed with this idea of like the relationship between the like text and the reader, thinking of the text as like the first person I and the reader is like the second person you as it's reading through. I liked the idea of having it so like the language was kind of like constructing to a certain extent in front of you. So when I had originally written the book in Word, I... Uh, did the hyphenate it and then I transferred it to InDesign. And the way that would like program kind of works is that it registers the hyphens as if they were right there in like the base text. Oh. And so I let them stay. And then when it kind of like that glitch came through, I removed it from certain ones, but left another. So there was this kind of like inconsistent, like pulling together. Um, and there were some fun ones like substance and like meadow becomes like mead owl mm-hmm. with the, the hyphen between the D and the O that I liked as this way that it's like the text is just stringing itself together because this kind of like recurring image of like strands and frayed wood and this like tying up that I like that was kind of conveyed in like the base structure of the language. Okay. So, so you wrote it in word. So like on eight and a half by 11, but you mm-hmm. like did it justified. Yeah. I did it justified with hyphen added and then I transferred it to the four and a quarter by seven in InDesign because I did all the layout for this one. Um, and so in that transfer, it just, there's like this unpredictable scattering of the hyphens, Mm. which I really liked. Okay. And we talked on the last time about how you tend to write with like, um, kind of complex music behind you and stuff like that. So I guess that's sort of part of that philosophy of just like, um, adding noise to the process. Yeah. And that's, uh, I love that, like, reoccurring image of, like, static of, like, there's, or, like, uh, there's, I don't know if I should call it a subplot, but there's, like, a thread in the book that's, uh, like, trying to find meaning in, like, random arrangements of pixels and television screens. And so I like the idea of trying to, like, derive meaning from this, like, chaos of noise that's just, like, completely unorganized and, like, uncomprehendable, but you're still trying to just grab little patterns and, like, find some meaning in it. Hmm. I I enjoy the 
um, the grainy, uh, like, uh, uh, gradient in the shapes that comes through an awful lot. I really appreciated that just on like, yeah. like an aesthetic level. Like it was yeah. ju just a little bit extra, uh, cause as I read more and more books with, you know, weird shapes or scribbles or whatever, like, it's always nice to see, uh, something else being toyed with. Yeah. Cause it's, I wanted to work in grayscale cause I could like that kind of like restraint, um, which I say after having smut maker come out and it's like complete, no black and white interior. But I like the constraint of that black and white or the grayscale more specifically because <clears throat> it feels so like quintessential and almost like um, kind of like mischievous that it's like you see the book and it's not like in color. It's on like the standard cream paper. And especially this one that's like four and a quarter by seven, it like feels so unassuming. It's like similar to the size of those old like Asimov, like sci-fi novels that you would get at like half price books. And then you open it up and all these like weird designs and layouts start unfolding. But I liked that, like, um, that static as, like, this gray kind of middle ground between just, like, the black and the cream-colored page. Uh, that's interesting. So then when, when you wrote this, did you write, did you put all the paragraphs in there initially? Or was it sort of like a big block that you then separated up? It was, uh, so each page from the base document is the same as the page on the final book, but I just had them as block paragraphs of being like, this is all the text I want on this page. Mm. Um, and then for some of the designs, some of those were originally in the Word document, like when you see the kind of skewed perspective, like hexagons and uh, pentagons. Um, I originally came up with those and like, because you can skew shapes in Word a little bit, and then mm -hmm. I was tracing for them in InDesign um, to match that skew. And so some of the designs were there, but all the text was like, I knew that's what I wanted on each page, kind of continuing that idea from gut text that like changing the size of the book wouldn't change the like page count. It would just change the composition. Okay. Um, kind of fitting that poetic style of like the poem is the poem. Like there's mm -hmm. this confined amount, even though it's primarily like prose. I gotcha. So where, when did you write this in relation to the other books of yours that are out? So the order I've written them in is Man O' Man, Smut Maker, Gut Text, and then this. Hmm. Oh, and then two novels was before all of that, actually. Oh. Um, and so this felt like a direct sequel to Gut Text insofar as like it's taking that idea of like the organism within the text itself but kind of expanding it to embody the entire book and making it more complex and incredibly malicious like it's now concerned with your body rather than its own just like strict ontology on the page mm -hmm. um but i rewrote this after it got picked up by 1111 i it's like andrew and i were going to some like magazine opening we got invited to in minneapolis i can't remember the name of the journal but it was like trying to mix like Freudian psychology and literature was there like theming. Um, and we went there and it was like this incredibly bizarre atmosphere of just like very sterile, like doctors talking about weird art. Hmm. Um, but it was more in like a bizarro vein. Like it'd be like Tim Allen, if home improvement was like in hell and <laughs> these like really goofy um, kind of pieces. And then we went out for 
like a nearby cafe for coffee later and I started showing him pages and he was like, send this to me. And he kept kind of pestering me to send it to him. Um, and I finally did. And he was like, let's do it through at 1111. I was like, yeah. And so after that, I like went through and just heavily edited the whole text to kind of give it this, this like coherent voice. Um, and I, at that time I'd started getting pretty comfortable with InDesign. So I transferred it over to InDesign and started playing with page sizes and doing those full page spreads because it's so difficult to do those in word because mm-hmm. when you side by sides on the page it doesn't account for that like starting page being on the right hand side yeah uh, but in design you can just make it as wonky as you want so there's like six full page spreads in here that are just <laughs> like real goofy yeah that's true uh, remembering now that there's just interesting stuff where did you write this in relation to Spelunker? Would this have been after Spelunker? This was before Spelunker. Before Spelunker. Spelunker took place after another one that I have that hasn't been picked up yet called Desert Tiles. I think Spelunker is about a year old. Okay. I think I wrote it like a year ago. And all of this is like muddled in my brain because I so constantly go back to edit stuff. Like uh, Smut Maker was written before Gut Text, but I did like a full, complete rewrite after John picked it up for Inside the Castle. So it's like they're constantly kind of like changing their order. <laughs> mm. I, I just, I, I find it, I don't know, interesting to see how we relate the texts to each other based on when you wrote them uh, as compared to like when they came out. Because it is kind of easy to look at this and um, treat it like a sequel to gut text in sort of a, a thematic way. Yeah, and that's, I think that was kind of like the goal, kind of halfway through it. Going going into it, I feel like I never know what a project's going to become. I have like a vague idea. Like, I think I was just operating with this set of images of like the Void Machine and like the House of Asterian and um, the idea of like having characters who are like full named and show up once and mm-hmm. then are forgotten. Um, and then it expanded into this like you and I like text and reader relationship. And it started kind of like drawing its own portals between in and gut text and I kind of encourage with that, like bring back certain phrases like Alley of Pines and um, like I think Necklace of Teeth shows up, which is like in the FF section of gut text. Um, and I think there's even a line that's like gut becoming text or some goofy reference like that in it. Mm. Um, but I like the idea of like like half forming those portals between works, like the idea that there's like some vague connection holding it all together. Yeah. Um, because I think even Smut Maker is like making back references to like Man Man and Ganymede and these are making references to things that aren't even out yet but that are set to come out in like a year or two yeah but i like it just becoming this like increasingly confusing web well and the fact that you have yourself as a character in smut maker uh (laughs) confused me enough as i was reading the introduction that i had to later find out that the introduction was not like part (laughs) of the story (laughs) yeah that was i well, Joel McSweeney did the introduction and it felt so, um, I was surprised that it like worked when I reached out to her. I was like, will you, cause I love her work and like the Necro Pastoral has been a huge influence on not only Ganymede, but a bunch of the other, uh, work that I've done. It like kind of like led to the Schizo Pastoral theme in Smut Maker even. Um, and so it was really surreal to get her to write that intro and the intro is so cool. It's like a poem all its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I wrote the book, so I prefer it more than the book because it's exciting to like read what she thought about it. And same with um, 
Thomas Moore and Christine Tudor Sittery, who did like great, like mini introductions and in their blurbs practically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's but I like that as like a fake, uh, like it's like a fake intro. It's like just part of the text. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've read, I've read a house of leaves and there's a, a $2 radio book called found audio that does the same sort of thing where the, the author uses himself as a character to make the book seem nonfiction when it's clearly fiction. And it would be difficult for your work to, to do that. (laughs) To be nonfiction. (laughs) You know, I found, I I found this in my apartment. I don't know where it came from. I gave it to a professor and this is what he said about it. And also the professor doesn't exist and neither do I or my (laughs) apartment. Yeah. That's, I like the idea of like pulling in other real authors, like uh, like acting like Joel McSweeney, like actually wrote it when she didn't, and then like having fake. I like the idea of the whole book being just this like fake apparatus. <laughs> That's great. And we, I mean, we live in in post truth twenty twenty one anyway. That like, I don't even care that you said that she wrote it. I I'm just gonna believe you wrote it, and I'm not yeah, even gonna they- look her up. She's not a real person. She's a character. You also, you know, you use first name, last name, characters, other places in the book. So, nah. Yeah. There we go. You can't prove it even if you give me proof. <laughs> uh, shortly after reading uh, the book, I saw a tweet from Mike Klein where he talks about editing by like 90%. Um, yeah. And I think we might have talked about it last time, but like your work also feels condensed in a way that his feels condensed. Um, and maybe that's only to me, but like, what is the, the sort of editing philosophy in your aphoristic style? I I saw that tweet of his that he brings like 20,000 words down to like 5,000 or something crazy like that, or it might be even smaller. You might've said like 10,000 to 1,000. I think that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah, which is just bonkers. I feel like I like what I tend to do is I'll write out the whole book and then I'll go through it like three times, just completely rewriting it. Usually the word count won't change, but a lot of the content will. Mm. And so what ends up happening is like what was there gets condensed, but then it gets like more gets added to it to fill up that space. And so I think the density that might be what he ends up doing too, because like his books are more than a thousand words. Right. But, <laughs> um, I tend to do like a similar amount of production, but then just follow it up with just like adding more data. Cause I like this idea of um, like, there's just this massive information, not only in the, like the amount and like the word count. Cause I tend to, you know, usually write books that are less than like 20,000 words, usually like even closer to 10,000 words. I think Ganymede is like 13,000 or something like that. But I like the idea of like the the sentences themselves just being so compactly filled with information and that information being so like foreign and then kind of sprinkling that familiarity with, I mean, not only the, the perspective, like the second and first person relationship, but being like someone hands you a note and you're like, well, yeah, I can understand that. And then it's like the note will say something completely bizarre about like three camp, like campers died in like Antwerp or like there's an unfathomable mass over the horizon. Yeah. Like the way kind of mixing these completely unknowable or kind of like non sequitur ideas into the familiar. The Antwerp thing, that's a Bolaño reference, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I'd steal a lot from that book. I <laughs> I like the 
and even the original um like smut maker style of the like quote separated by ellipses is derived from that because some oh, of the okay. sections are like that but i like that style of that book um kind of in that same vein of just being like these dense dreamlike passages that you're like you feel like you don't have the context for them there'll mm. be like mentions of like names or like someone doing something or like some somebody says like some comment about like a, a dream they had or like someone they saw on the highway um and you can't quite place like who said it or like where it took place this kind of like like floatiness to it almost mm-hmm. that i really enjoy and some of the characters like colin yar is a reference to that or like the the kind of repeated line about like there are reasonable people and unreasonable people i think i pulled from that um because i very much like enjoy the idea of like pulling from just this like wide range of sources and then mutating those quotes until like i can't even remember where they came from mm. um like even to the point i think there's like one project i have that pulls like quotes from like the only death or like interview that death grips did with like pitchfork <laughs> so, like in some random book there's like a quote from like zach hill who's the drummer mm-hmm. saying like we don't like a lot of new friends or something like that and it's like in like five years i will have no memory of where that line came from <laughs> but just skewing all this information i like i like that a lot i always have the idea of like what do, what would happen if i just like put a Mars Volta record on repeat and like wrote a novel to that, but like only ever listened to it, but like wrote it over the span of several years or whatever. Uh, I like that sort of iterative thing, especially when it comes to the way that you edit too. And as you mentioned before, like coming back to things after other projects are done that like is, um, reminds me of in, uh, like audio, mixing and mastering the idea of uh, subtractive equalization versus additive so like um if the snare drum isn't loud enough instead of making the snare drum louder you make everything else a little bit quieter so that you don't have too much right because yeah. otherwise you're just building on top of building turn the snare drum up but then the bass uh guitar is too quiet so you add that up but instead you carve out first and then if something else needs to be there more than you do something else to put it in there more uh that's I like that. yeah because um, i feel like um a lot of the times there's this um like i've always been prone to like cutting things like if i i'll get incredibly kind of like critical of any draft after i've finished it um and so the editing process is just being like this doesn't work but i like the idea in it and then trying to figure out the most concise or kind of like stylistically interesting way to present that and i think that's why i've leaned towards a lot of design oriented work recently it's just being like i could write out a page or i could like add this like small design to the bottom of like the previous page and it'll convey the same point Hmm. kind of like trying to embody some of those like rather than talking about how like being like the books and organism and like kind of pushing this point in like a strictly descriptive way or declarative way like presenting these designs that make it feel like something's coming out like trying to figure out ways to reduce language so that the page itself becomes more kind of like useful i like the idea of like assembling a book rather than writing it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like um kind of like you put together the object as a whole rather than just like putting everything in the word document and like pasting it into the formatting um there's something really appealing about that 
and especially like I said with Ganymede being that small size, like I like the way that the book even tries to trick you from the outset. Um, that it's like you have this small thing because so many design oriented books are like six by nine or larger because they want to show off what they've made or like kind of want that like larger canvas to work with. But like the Ganymede like in its size becomes this like weirdly intimate thing that it's like everything is so kind of like minuscule and uh, like you have to really kind of like move through each page. Hmm. That's fascinating considering I read it on my phone, right? So I'm reading it Perfect. in an even smaller version than that. And getting yeah. the you know the the headache inducing blue light of the screen pounding into yeah. my body, yeah. And that's it's always so strange to see it go from because I'll edit in I'll um, like export it from InDesigner spreads and then I'll edit it in um, like Adobe Acrobat as a PDF, hmm. uh, just because things don't like fully render or, like kind of show properly in InDesign. Like um, a recent project had like topographical maps and they're just like scattered pixel. Like they just look like pure noise until you export it. Hmm. But so I, I kind of also worked in that just like staring at a screen. So like the kind of cream page doesn't come through until it's really printed. Um, I haven't found a way to like replicate that or like accurately kind of like get an idea of how that'll look um, in like a digital equivalent. Hmm. Uh, that all kind of brings me to another thought that I had as I, as I was reading it, because for, I forgot a lot of what we talked about in the last time I had you on while I was reading the book. And I had this epiphany that was like, Oh, that's why these, his writing feels strange. It's because there's never any setting. Uh, <laughs> but I suppose that like the book itself is the setting. Uh, yeah. To an extent. And that's kind of like part of the, the goal with the design is like spatializing the page itself. Mm -hmm. And um, I like have these not particularly like strict rules, but rules that I tend to stick by of um, most of my work tries to avoid like setting or like descriptions of how a character will look. Um, I try to work with like uh, gender neutral programs primarily um, and try to just overall kind of like remove like most humanizing aspects of the text from itself. Like even if there's like mentions of like even like Nathan Carpenter and like uh, Thelma Gibbs and like all these names that show up never feel like fully corporealized just because like it's trying to reduce the name just strictly to what it is like this like signifier um, for some unique entity that's just handing you a note. But I feel like a lot of the recent work has been kind of focused on like uh, the I almost want to say the geography of the book kind of like mapping that out rather than being concerned not only with narrative, but with, like, characterization as a whole. Which kind of brings me to the next thing that, like, I remember f feeling as I was reading Ganymede, um, kind of how I felt while I was reading Gut Text, that, like, for the first third of the book, um, because of all those things, I felt really disoriented. Like, mm -hmm. it was, like, reading poetry for me, where I, th I think I talked about it with... Uh, Olivia, uh, how like sometimes I'll read a thing in a book of poetry and turn the page and be like, wait, what? Like what, <laughs> what I just read? Like I couldn't, like if you held a gun to my head, I couldn't even tell you one word that was on the page I had just read and enjoyed reading. Um, mm -hmm. but as I was progressing, like you get used to the language and kind of like settle in to that, like rhythm and structure of it yeah 
And I like that comparison to poetry. Uh, I was talking to, I can't remember who about this, but the idea of making prose that kind of operates on that same level of, of like abstraction mm-hmm. um, or kind of pulling the, the like more frequent use of like metaphor and symbolism from poetry, but then kind of not chaining that metaphor or symbolism to any particular thing. Um, kind of like using that structure, especially like you mentioned that kind of like aphoristic structure, but not for aphorisms. Mm-hmm. Um, I find really appealing because I originally in because the word doc was originally these block paragraphs. It didn't there was something that didn't feel quite right, but like isolating the sentences, I think, kind of counterintuitively reveals their density more, and that abstraction mark because you don't kind of like lose them in the flow of the paragraph. You have to jump to each new line. Um, to engage with it kind of like in that kind of isolated node. Um, yeah, I like that disorientation. That's kind of like a primary goal of mine. Um, just the idea of like, a, I'm really interested in like the labor of reading. Um, Cause I feel like when you encounter, we'll say like a traditionally formatted novel, um, like we'll say like Stephen King or James Patterson, or those are dramatic examples, but kind of those more commercial uh like stories it feels like it's such a passive experience like you just you can read those so quickly and so like easily um there's no kind of hiccup or kind of like kinks in the flow um you can just kind of like zone out and scan from like top left to bottom right um until you're done but i like the idea of like making a work that constantly puts you in that active position like you're never able to quite form that like uh, like very similar to like the fantasy screen around yourself to be like lost in the book, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You have to like constantly be in your body sitting in front of it. And I think that the goal there is to strengthen that relationship being like the text is communicating to you. Um, like you are sitting holding the object that's like trying to speak to you and like ultimately trying to um, kind of have some type of power over you in this case. I also like kind of in that vein reading aloud your work and work like that um especially i I read a large portion of it uh sitting on the kitchen floor while my wife was making dinner one night and (laughs) like there's something really soothing about uh reading words uh even if you don't necessarily like understand the meaning or something i think that's why people enjoy like doing mantras and stuff like that just like hitting these all, all of these ideas and because you're reading it moving quicker through than if you were uh reading it in your head and like you know doing the like why does this tiny paragraph have two sentences whereas most of the other ones have one and 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 stuff like that i like the idea of that reading out loud a lot because i i tend not to for Mm. whatever reason um unless i'm like preparing to do a reading which always terrifying but um because i i feel like i often get concerned with the idea of like utterance just in like the abstract sense um but i like the idea of this like reading out loud because i was looking at um logan barry's work recently Hmm. um and he has like a background in theater um and so a lot of his work has this really like plosive quality to it like you always feel like you're like you're like opening and closing your mouth as you read it in this like very aggressive manner um and I like the idea of like those works that when you read it, it's kind of unassuming in terms of like, you don't think about the way it'd be spoken, but once you start speaking it, there's this like, uh, like almost awkward quality to the pacing or this kind of like grotesque quality. 
um, like you're always kind of like popping your lips. Mm. Oh man, even that's interesting. So like, uh, there there was a period in which I was doing a lot of songwriting, and mm-hmm. and it's a a terror to me that someone will someday find that on the <laughs> internet. Uh, but that's that's interesting because there's a long period of time where I had uh, like a a fascination with or at least a reflex to constantly go to the letter p and like mm-hmm. um just hit p words over and over and over again and reading like prose like that yeah seems fascinating like there's i like the idea that this like additional element comes out once you start reading it out loud that you didn't realize was there when you were just like reading it in your head um that you just get all these plosive noises just like popping out um like there's like this almost like physical strain or like oddness to it um i find that really appealing and then you you record yourself and every time you hit a p-pop you find out that if you're reading it at the correct speed it's morse code and there's a second plot in there (laughs) i I love the idea of like the conspiracy or like hidden messages like in a book like the you like play the track backwards and it's like devil like language Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I've had, I have a, a few friends that like, I will usually send work to after it's done to, to tear it up and tell me what's wrong with it. And with Ganymede, one of them was like, okay, so like Asterion is symbolic for this. And, uh, like Ganymede, uh, doesn't get named till this point, which coincides with like this number. And mm-hmm. there's like this way that I like, I love the idea of just like the occulted codes, like hidden in the text that I don't even know are there. Um, like if you read this in like a certain configuration, you'll summon a portal to like purgatory or pandemonium. Um, I like the idea of like making work that like evokes that or like encourages it without really like, like directly doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea that like the, the text alludes to some like foreign entity living behind it. Yeah. Which I think, I think in the age of, of four hour long YouTube videos trying to explain things. I think we need more of that to uh, either discover something completely new about storytelling that we otherwise wouldn't have come upon or to just get people out of that habit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I need like the, the like four hour Joseph Anderson video about Ganymede and all the hiccups in it. (laughs) <laughs> like you you could not get me to watch a four hour video about Twin Peaks like trying to decode it. You you couldn't if like like the only way you could get me to watch that and and completely destroy Twin Peaks as an experience for me. Like you'd have to have my family some like tied up. Yeah. It feels like it's so missing the point of twin peaks and like i guess like lynch's work as a whole to be like okay here's all the hidden shit it's like the point is that i don't want to know what the hidden stuff is like let it let me just feel that it's there yeah like what a strange rejection of authorial intent too because going back to what we said earlier we're like i'm not gonna recognize the truth even if you tell me what the truth is like the truth that he's telling you even not all that subtly it's like even if you guess right I'm not going to tell you you're right. 
mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. whole like oh nobody's ever even come close to what the meaning of eraser head is like <laughs> i mean maybe but yeah he's he's always gonna hold that line to his dying day that's you know yeah i feel like my tactic has been like immediately severing my own personal ties to it and being like any answer you give is right like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give a hierarchy of correctness like <laughs> just whatever you got out of it you got out of it and i think maybe that's the like kind of the appeal of the like abstract nature of the style is that you can kind of like derive what you need to from it almost like it's like encouraging like some bibliomantic relationship to the text um which i've been kind of playing with more and more recently is i like the idea of like a trying to remove inherent meaning from parts of the text so that like any derived meaning is like equally as valid as any other um kind of thinking in terms of bibliomancy where people will will, like open a book to a random page and try to prescribe meaning in the same way that people do for like tarot Mm. or astrology um making a text that like any meaning you derive from the page is the true meaning because there's no like authorial force guiding that passage Mm -hmm.